All right, and good morning again. I'm a little distracted this morning. I have been with a variety of things going on, but I'm, uh, part of it, the distraction, is because I'm excited about something that we're going to do this morning, a little bit different uh, than normal. I'm going to start right now with something called the Shema. Uh, Shema is a Hebrew word that means to hear, and there was a, a passage of scripture from the book of Deuteronomy called the Shema. It's kind of named after about five verses, named after the first word in that passage, and this passage called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, uh, was recited every morning and every evening by good and faithful Jews in the time of Jesus and some still today. So we're going to put it on the screen, uh, this core passage of scripture from the law, from the book of Deuteronomy, and we're going to speak it together, just like Jesus' people would have done. Let's do that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Yes, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you know how important that was to Jesus because he quotes it in part at least, numerous times in the Gospels. Uh, and in that passage is uh, those words, are those words, impress these things upon your children. And those words were very foundational when we came up with our values a couple of years ago. Those words, especially about children, helped influence what our values ended up being. And I'm gonna put the values up on the screen now too, which most of you know, we'll say those together now. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to love all people unconditionally, serve our neighbors generously, advance God's purposes globally, pour into the next generation intentionally, and cultivate spiritual growth continuously. Pour into the next generation intentionally. And we've largely thought of that next generation as the next generation of the church, the next generation of this church, then our next generation, our offspring, those we baptize here as infants or as young people. But there really is, and it's been our understanding that that, under, that, that, that is much broader than just our kids, but that we want to pour into the entire next generation intentionally. And so this also from the book of Deuteronomy, which in many ways represents the heart of the Old Testament law, the heart of the Old Testament law in the best, best sense or connotation of that word law. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 10. Then Deuteronomy chapter 24, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice. And that word justice uh, isn't legal justice or the criminal justice system, but rather what is right and good. What is right and good. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Deuteronomy 24. 
In chapter 26 of Deuteronomy, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Chapter 26, and we hear similar things over and over and over and over in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the heart of the Old Testament law. And then in the Psalms, you hear, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their, their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that, mere earthly, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror toward them. Psalm 10. Psalm 68, sing to God, sing in praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. And then along comes Jesus into a world that was increasingly influenced by Rome and Roman culture, that did not highly value children, where children were not only at the bottom of the social ladder, but they were often discarded where infanticide was common, and where children, where they were wanted, were seen as a burden or as another set of hands to work the field and to work in the house and to support the family. And then along comes Jesus from Mark chapter 10. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the words of Jesus' brother James, who, as we see so clearly in the book that he wrote back in the back of the Old Testament, that so accurately echoes all of the teachings of Jesus. These words, religion, or in other words, the practice of faith. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless, really good, right on target, is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. For a number of years, we as a congregation have supported a local ministry a uh, beautiful local ministry called Help One Child, which supports, in their own words, the full breadth of care for at-risk children from prevention through emancipation or post-adoption, addressing the unique needs of foster, adoptive, and vulnerable families, striving to positively impact the long-term health and stability for family preservation in the name of Jesus. And there's another local organization that's also doing amazing work among this population. Their name is Foster the City. They've put together some videos that help tell or share some of the stories that they've been blessed to be a part of. This is one of those videos. I remember taking my pipe and just putting it on the floor and just stepping on it. And I was like, I'm done. And, um, and a month later, Madison was born on her due date, which I don't know how that happened because I had done everything you're not supposed to do while you're pregnant. And on the third day, they took, they took my daughter and they said, we'll be right back. And they never, they never came back. I 
went down almost every street around the hotel and just cried and just didn't know where to go. And I didn't want to go back to the motel because I had the mo I had my room in the motel all set up with um, a crib and clothes. I just felt so alone and lost. I was advised to be cordial but confidential because the bio mom was hostile to the first foster parents. And so obviously not really what I wanted to hear. They said be confidential. So I thought, is it bad if she even knows my name? So when I met Lauren, you know, I didn't know what to expect. But as soon as we started talking, she felt at ease with me. I was on my first unsupervised visit with my daughter. I was feeling so nervous. I have my daughter and we are we we can go wherever we want and we can be back at this certain time. We can we can spend this time alone that I haven't had. She goes in my car and we're driving and Madison starts crying. And she starts crying and crying and crying and I start crying and crying and we're both holding each other and we're just crying and I knew she didn't want me. So I met them at uh, Trader Joe's parking lot and uh, we're, we're in the parking lot and I'm just crying and holding Madison and, and Brian puts his hands over me while I'm crying and he just prays, for, he prayed for me. And I don't know what he said, but when he was done, all the guilt was taken away. All the guilt was taken away. Cause when she was crying, it wasn't just a kid crying. All I heard, was everything I did while I was pregnant. Everything I did, I, everything I did to put her in a position to be crying. Well, when we first got into foster care, we thought we were gonna start doing it. Um, it was just, the focus was just all about the children and about, you know, saving children. We didn't, we didn't have any other really focus until we went to the, our agency's training, which was really good. Um, and they, they kind of like enfolded us into the whole process of, of dealing with, you know, the, there's a family that's broken and you're there not just for the children, but, you know, there's an entire family that's out there that's going to be hurting. Out of the blue, I got a text message from her, which, which made me cry. Um, she had just texted me, you know, Bethany, I need God and I want Madison to know Jesus. And I'm like, I called her right away. Um, I, I was like, we gotta, we gotta talk about, you're making me cry. She's like, why? And I'm like, because this is like, this is absolutely amazing. And then to hear how God has just been working on her heart, um, it was, it was exciting. And she wanted to learn more. She's hungry and thirsty. And so we've been doing Bible study together. She started going to church. She found one, they, they got connected in there. And so it's been amazing to see God at work. They were my support. They, Bethany and Brian were my main support throughout this whole case after they got Madison. They carried me. They carried me. They believed in me. My relationship with them is still growing and I love them so much. I consider them to be my family. I get my advice from Bethany. I watch her family because I want what she has and I want what her family has and I want what how her family is. I want that for my family. You think about walk by faith and not by sight. And going into fostering, we had a lot of questions. We had a lot of doubts, concerns, fear. Um, there's a whole lot of emotions and you almost don't want to do it, but you want to do it. Um, 
and the things we feared most, I feel like didn't come to pass. We were so afraid that it would blow up on our faces and that it would be the worst experience ever for our family. And it, it hasn't been that way. I think we're always afraid to obey the Lord because we don't know what the cost will be. But in following Christ, the cost is always worth it. I, it really ends up being no cost. I'm like, we've gained more than had to you know, put out kind of thing. And God is always so gracious in that way. Um, so you know, I don't know why we get so afraid. <laughs> but yeah, we do. And we're gonna continue to grow um, in those things. But God is, is so kind. He's so kind in his, in his dealings with us. of stories. Uh, over the years, uh, First Prez, a number of uh, people, families have uh, fostered kids. Some of those people are still a part of the congregation, some of them are not, and have uh, moved to other places. Uh, the folks in the congregation who have most recently fostered are Jim and Liz Yeager, and they've agreed to share some of their story with us this morning. Um, so a few questions to kind of get us rolling. Uh, how did you come to sort of begin fostering kids? How did, how did you come to begin? Well, I grew up, I had an amazing experience in my own home. My parents formally fostered before I was born and then had a slew of informal foster kids my entire life. So I had the experience of folks in my life and I saw my parents who loved Jesus and just were trying to follow his word and their boundless love reflecting God's boundless love. And uh, by the time I got to high school, I knew I could, I could do a lot of terrible things and not get kicked out because I saw them <laughs> loving these kids who um, made big mistakes that were just products of their own broken lives. Um, and so those people are still involved in my parents' life. And so I knew I always wanted to do it um, and met Jim. And so it was always part of the conversation and then going to a um, human trafficking conference at Mount Hermon probably seven years ago, uh, heard these statistics about how some high percentage, 70 some percent of the kids, young people who are involved in being trafficked in San Francisco had come out of foster care. And that was the moment we were like, okay, we need to start planning uh, to do this. And at that same um, similar time, we, the couple things we thought about practically were at what age would we want children that we don't know to come into our family and be with the children we do know, when would our kids be ready? Which the answer to that question is like the question about when are you going to be ready? Never. Um, but there seemed to be a better time than another time, which is when our, our culture, the culture of our family had been formed a bit. Um, and that we thought it was solid, knowing that it could be compromised, threatened, um, affected any time, but that now is the best time. And then adding to what Liz said, um, in hearing other content from Foster the City, learning that so many of the things that we are all uh, in anguish about in our community, homelessness, drug abuse, domestic abuse, sex trafficking, poverty, um, that 
a huge preponderance of those suffering those maladies, those living those lifestyles, are from young people who have aged out of foster care and have no connective tissue in their life to connect, to uh, be a part of any longer. And so the idea of treating the symptoms, those things that we think about and that are very visible to us in the world, in the media, in our own lives, rather than treating the source of those or the beginning of those things, which is not being connected, not being linked, not being family, not being seen or heard or known, um, it connected to us and to Liz's experience as a child and to the things that we were trying to foster in our home um, and just to the hearts that we had at that point in our lives. Did you guys have any um, concerns, worries, or fears as you sort of considered uh, entering the foster world? Yeah, we don't have time for all of them. I just remember in our training course, we went to San Mateo County, we, were, we thought of private agencies and then we heard what Foster the City was doing with, um, within the public process and appreciated that vision. The vision of Foster the City, not to be a commercial for them, but it's very simple. They simply looked at the number of churches in the Bay Area and thought if every church in the Bay Area had one family that would commit to fostering, then all the children in the system would have a home. It's very basic math. Knowing that not every family, a family in every church is called, or maybe more than one would be called, the other thought that Foster the City has is to surround that family with infrastructure, to care for the biological kids, to care for the foster child, to provide a date night for the foster parents, to um, bring meals, to take kids out, whatever it might be to kind of support, because the statistics around foster care are not good, plainly not good for resource families, not, I say resource family, that's the phrase our county uses, not just for the foster children, but for the resource parents. 50% uh, of all families who volunteer to foster, do foster care quit after one placement, and 80% quit after two, because it is intense. There's lots of things that are challenged. And but what Foster the City has found and we have found is that having other relationships around our immediate family are things that provide a lot of support to us. They provide, um, and they're great for the whole, the entire family, biological kids, foster kids. It, again, is this connective tissue. But our concerns just started with everything, every question you could ask, you ask, and you don't know the answer to any of them because you haven't yet begun. And I would say one of my biggest fears was um, my own kids, like, how are they going to, what are the consequences going to be in their lives? And um, because though I had a positive outlook or perspective about my own upbringing and having lots of <laughs> random people, I have a brother who didn't appreciate that. And we weren't really consulted. And so part of waiting until our kids were a little older was that I wanted them to have a say. And I want... I wanted them to be partners, and they have been the best partners. I'm worried about when they are all gone, how are we going to do this without them? So that was probably my biggest fear, and it's been beautiful, and we just have active conversations and um, try to express our appreciation to them because they're just tremendous. What's, uh, what's been one of the hardest things for you? We're going to get to the, some of the, the beautiful part, too. What's been, I mean, in reality, what's been most difficult? That's easy. I'm super selfish and self-absorbed. Thank goodness none of you are dealing with that the way I am. But I, I, um, it, 
there's time. The, the amount of time that is dedicated to just any other person in our home and the logistics it creates and the investment of energy is just challenging for me. And in part because I'm selfish about my time with Liz, that um, it, its impact on our relationship is, is real. And so it, cause, it forces us to be more intentionally connected than if we weren't doing it. And so that challenge has been a real one for me all the time. And I would say one of the hardest things, I'll say there are two, two hard things, but the first on a very personal level is that I have all these hopes and dreams of being this wonderful person to a child in need and I fail. Like I lose my temper, I yell, I am not a perfect parent. <laughs> and um, stop, that's- Stop nodding. <laughs> all of our kids can tell you, uh, I do yell and lose my temper and that's really disappointing. Those are, mo those are moments that I, feel very ashamed and you can't go back and undo it and so that's hard and then the other hard thing is um, every single situation with every kid is different and no one has any answers as to how long this is going to take or what's going to happen so the amount of patience and flexibility you have to have is enormous and the social workers you want to like push it on them like tell me what's happening they don't know either so it's it's really hard to not know and that's life but in a nutshell to be like wanting to give a kid answers that you don't have and no one has is really hard thanks for sharing this might be a good time to invite up your kids uh jim and liz have four biological kids the oldest is off at college uh so these are three of their uh bio kids and their dearly beloved foster what uh question for any of you What's been the best thing for you or from your perspective about uh, having uh, a foster child in your, in your family or being a foster child in this family? It's always really exciting. Like, there's nothing boring going on. Like, one moment, everyone will be chillaxing, eating their breakfast, and then Alexis will come out screaming. I mean, Spice will come out screaming. Oh, my gosh, guess what happened? And it's always a flame of fun around the house. We're using uh, Spice, a nickname that was given by Abe, because when Spice came to us, she, and still does, have a huge affinity for spicy food, Takis and Tabasco. So, and um, we've just been asked not to use her given name for security and safety reasons. So that's why we'll refer to her that way. Yeah, to, I don't know what Lucy said, like, I think since Abe went to college, like, I don't know if how different it would have been if we didn't have Spice, like, to be the extra, like, person, like, instead of Abe, like, I think it kind of helped us transition well, at least after we went to college, um, and so I think that was a really helpful thing, at least for me, to, like, I don't know, I mean, I miss Abe, but, like, it's not as bad, I think, as if we didn't have Alexis here, or Spice, so, yeah. It definitely, so before uh, Spice came, we had, during like lockdown COVID, we had another foster sister, and she helped like liven us up a lot. Like, if she wasn't there with us, she was very loud and everything, very outgoing. So, if she like wasn't there during that time, I don't think like, we would have been like, I don't think I would be the same person I am now. Um, so I think she really helped us in that time to like stay lively, stay active, and be who we are. The best thing. 
You can say Jim and Liz. Okay, so I feel like the best part is that I finally have an older brothers. It's a very interesting because I, um, I like all of them. I also, like, I don't know, I just, it feels nice to have siblings that I can bother all the time. Mm -hmm. Just bang did you enjoy having them in high school, like having big brothers oh, at yeah, high school? Oh, yeah, they hated me. <laughs> I would just go up to them and I'd scream their name and they'd be like, what? I'd be like, hi. And they'd be like, he never said hi to me. He's weird. <laughs> Barely. Okay, I like Ben, though. He, like, he would like, be like awkwardly, but he'd still say hi. He would look at me, look at me, and I, he didn't know me. I was like, hurt. I was very hurt. I was very hurt. Clearly he loves you, though. Jim and Liz, best, best things about fostering and this experience for you? Well, it's this incredible gift to have a person come into your life and see who they are and see them develop and grow. And um, it's just an honor. It's an honor to see someone's life. It's kind of a wreck at first, right? And then to see this person emerge who... Um, has more confidence and has more understanding of their value and the potential that life holds. Just to see that transformation from like not a lot of hope to a lot of hope. And um, the stories are all amazing. And just to be part of it is a tremendous honor. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I'd say that well, it's beautiful. To, there, I, I, I don't know. I could go on and on and on. It's hard to even gather my thoughts about the best part. But I think reinforcing something I believe, change, going from something I believe to something I'm doing. And I believe that I have a connection to every person, period, hard stop. I have a connection in the, on, to every person on the planet, and yet I don't always act like that. It's a belief intellectually that I hold, but I don't always do it. And so inviting anyone into our home, Spice or a friend or a relative or a stranger, and saying, this is your home for an hour while we have a cup of coffee, for as long as it takes, for a week, it changes the way that I relate to them and it changes the way that I relate to myself. So. And I think the other thing that has been the best is um, this partnership that we have had and enjoyed with Abe and Drew and Ben and Lucy. Um, it was not entirely expected, hoped for, but not entirely expected. Um, and it's really, really rich. And then it's to have Spice and then to have Monty, who was here before Spice, as part of our family forever. That we may not live together forever, but she's a part of our family forever and she knows it and she's going to come back when she wants to and we're going to see her when we can and the relationship will continue great forever here's a question for any of you or all of you uh, ben lucy drew spice jim liz uh what have you learned about yourself through this experience what have you learned about yourself Um, it's a hard one. I would say I, <laughs> it's 
definitely really interesting. So I was, I'm gonna start with this. I was probably out of the four of us. So when we first like considered doing like foster care, my parents came to us and we had a little family meeting and they asked all of us, would you want to do this? And I would say I was probably most reluctant out of everyone because um, I wasn't like, I knew it would be really hard. I knew that probably would, like it would be a lot of sacrifice. We have to like change a lot of our life. And so I was like very reluctant to start with. But then like the moment that Monty and Spice came, like that all changed. And I feel like because of foster care, I've become a lot more open to new experience and trying new things and getting like out of my comfort zone because I used to be really introverted. I didn't want to like try new things. I want to do the same thing every time. Uh, I feel like I've changed a little bit, I'm still working on it, but I feel like I'm, I've changed as a person because of foster care and because that spice is here. Oh yeah. <laughs> You're still changing. That, that, was, that was Lucy guys, come on. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know what Drew said. Uh, I kind of agree with that. Like, I was originally open to it. I was like, okay, I think we can do this. We, I think our family's like one of those families that can do this. We'll be flexible. And so I was, I was open to it. But I was like, all right, I'm just let my mom do it. Like, I'll just, I'll be like the supporting cast. I'll be like the, the person in the background. Um, but I think it's one of those things. Like, looking back on it now, like how I was looking at it when we first started versus how I see it now is like. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't really want to do this, but once I do it, like, it's like, it was just such a blessing in disguise. Like, I didn't even understand, like, how much of a blessing it would be. Like, it's just allowed me to, like, I don't know, it's just like a stranger coming to your house, and then they just, like, become family. And it's just, like, it showed me, like, how special that is, and, like, how there's things like that in my life that, like, if I don't take that chance, I won't get that experience, and, like, how it's just that special. And um, I just thought that was awesome. For me, it's really like been, it's so helpful for my own growth because when we first started, I was the youngest in the house, right? And then when Moni, our first placement came, she really, she was like a younger sister that I never had, right? So it was like a lot of new experience, but it really helped my personal growth and values. So. Uh, what's what have you learned about yourselves or how have you grown through this well I already told you how I've learned how I'm fallible and <laughs> not a perfect parent which I didn't think I was before but um, just confirmed that I'm not but um, I'm just all I'm forced to always grow I think that's the thing you're you're never you never stop growing hopefully 
the potential is always there, and um, it's really kept me on my toes to stay available and open to um, learning, to being humbled by situations or realizing I need to depend on the resources available. Our county is actually a very healthy county when it comes to the foster care system and they provide a lot of resources. And I, I wasn't, my natural inclination is just to depend on myself and find solutions myself and um, to not be afraid to call the 800 number, the hotline, <laughs> to say, help, I'm struggling. And there's a team of people who will come help. They will sweep in, swoop in and um, they're there. And it's, I don't think that's the story with every agency, foster agency, but ours has been remarkable in the way they try to cover the bases. Sometimes it's too many people. I've been overwhelmed by the amount of, the number of people around the table sometimes who come in to help and are at my house. I have, you know, foster uh, care agency people all the time, social workers all the time, therapists all the time in my home. And that's probably been the, one of the harder things is the like nonstop infiltration of, uh, you know, that permeation of people I don't know coming and going and, um, but it's good, they're there to help me. So I've, I've grown in my willingness to let other people help. I'd say that it's raised two questions and that, that helped me grow. And one question is, what is family? What is family? And I've had, it has increased the aperture, the, the viewfinder for me around that question. What is family? And I thought I had a pretty wide aperture already, and it's expanded more. And then I think the other thing that I've grown to learn about myself is the reservoir is a lot deeper than I think it is. That every time I think, there's, I can't do this. Like Ben said, I, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to be good. I can't do it. And then I do it, and I find I, we can do it. And then I realize there, we can go past that. And we can go past that. Um, and in that has been a, there's been a huge gift um, because it's been something we've experienced independently, but we've also experienced it together of, I'm not sure there's enough. I don't know if we can do it. How are we gonna do it? And then we try to do it and it's not perfect. It's not clean. It can be a mess, but we do it. And at the core of it is this lesson of it's not about the information I have. It's not about all the rules that we create to keep it all in the box. It's our life, my life, and this life, and this life are all gonna be in the same place, and we're gonna see what happens. Are you willing to do that? I feel like God continues to ask me, are you willing to do this? And there's not gonna be an answer. The timeline's gonna be unclear. But the question comes back over and over again, are you open to this? And what God really, God's really saying is, are you open to me? Are you open to me in your life and whoever and whatever I will bring? And I, am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Okay. Good segue. Last question. This is for any of you who've been Lucy, Drew, Spice, uh, Jim, Liz. Uh, what, have you, what have you learned about God or his kingdom? What have you learned about God, God's nature, God's uh, character, God's personality, God's ways? What have you learned about God and or God's kingdom through this process? Uh, 
Um, I think I've learned that a lot of people can get into God's kingdom in many different ways. Like personally, I've grown up in the church, I've always been here. There's someone like Lexi or Spice. Like she has never been in this like kind of like air like she's never really really like been to church before and then because she started doing foster care with us she started coming here maybe not even like directly like in the service and everything but she's still here and with our family and so I think as of like foster care like it opens up a lot a lot of opportunity for people to get new experiences and yeah Ben Lucy anything you've learned about God or God's kingdom through all of this. Spice, what about you? Um, I guess I've kind of just learned that, like, through, I mean, obviously foster care isn't smooth sailing all the time. I wish it was. It'd be a lot, a lot easier. But um, it's good regardless. But I, I think I've noticed that, like, in all the problems that we've had or, like, bumps in the road, like, I've always just noticed that God is there and he's, like, watching over and he's, like, even when things get tough and it's like, dang, what, what am I supposed to do right now? Like, he's there and, like, I don't know. It's just so, he's there, and like, um, in a sense of reassurance whenever something goes wrong or isn't going perfect. Um, and I think foster care has helped that because it's, like, it's one of those things that, like I said, isn't always perfect, but that it reminds me constantly that God's there and he's going to stay with you and he's there when things don't go well. And even when things are going well, like, he's always there. Like, he's helping you be awesome and he's helping you when it's uh, not going great. Um, so I've just noticed that he's there whenever you need him. And I would say one beautiful part is that um, the kingdom, um, we're not the only ones part of this story that are working for the kingdom. There have been a lot of really special people in Spice's life who have rescued her from time to time or many, many times. Um, there are people here in this sanctuary who have thrown in and, and loved on, on Spice and on Moni, and we have not been alone. And seeing the kingdom at work, seeing the people who are down and out and have good reason to be in a place of suffering, but the kingdom comes and tries to bless them and pull them into the love of the Lord and communicate you are valuable you are beautiful you are loved you have life that you haven't even tapped into yet um, just being part of the kingdom the citizens who make up the kingdom uh, and and sometimes you these people you don't know if they even necessarily would understand this idea of a kingdom that's looking out for the for the vulnerable um, but I see it in action and it's been an honor again to be part of the kingdom work going on um, for maybe the one in our home or all those out there. It's, it's a beautiful partnership. I'm going to close in prayer. Yeah. Can I just, we, we asked Abe, so we told Abe that we were sharing and he, he responded and it was I'd love to say it before you close in prayer, if it's okay. Abe wrote this to me. I just keep thinking about James 127, which James writes, true religion. The only place in the scripture it says, what is true religion? Caring for orphans and widows in their distress. 
and keeping our heart undefiled from the world. Um, and then he also mentioned Proverbs 31.8, which is speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And he said, it's created such a unified family. I have gained a whole extra sister, but it also connected us, the six of us, Jaegers in such powerful ways that brought us even closer together and made us really rely on each other. The Lord used foster care to help refine and push my own personal ministry as a servant in ways that I needed to grow and be equipped in that I've also seen fruit from. It's such a tangible way to share the gospel by which I am living. Opportunities to share the gospel, yes, but also to actively live the gospel as it's intended for every believer of Christ. It's such a valuable perspective that grows gratitude, fervency, expectancy, and empathy. I would do it again. I love Spice. Beautiful. And Abe is your oldest who's up, left for college last fall. Yeah, let's pray. God, we thank you for your kingdom advancing into places where maybe it hadn't been and it into uh, corners of the world where there's been darkness or hurt or pain or suffering or abuse. Uh, we thank you that you have not forgotten about those uh, temporarily dark places, but have sought through your people and in a variety of ways to insert yourself into those places and into those lives and into those communities, into the hearts of people in order to rescue and to redeem. We thank you for uh, the county foster system. We thank you for the employees, the social workers, uh, the many people who are a part of this enterprise of care and concern and love. We thank you for the families that you've called forth and you've powered and that through uh, the calling of Jesus have put upon their hearts to walk uh, in such a way as to care for the orphans and the fatherless among us and to be the daddy uh, that we all long for and need. We thank you for the things that you've done in the Jaegers' lives and in the lives of Monty and Spice. Uh, continue to bring about uh, your kingdom in each of their hearts and each of their lives. Uh, heal and bring joy and uh, great praise for yourself. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen.